Well, good morning, Citygate Church and all of our online guests. Uh, today, I think we're on part number 10 of this series on the Glorious Church. And I hope you've enjoyed this. Um, but I'm going to split this last one again over a couple of weeks because it's sort of the end of the series, but it's, it's at the very heart of what God wants to do, I believe, with the Glorious Church. I've probably said that over every, every message that I've preached about this is at the heart, but it's such a powerful passage of Scripture that I believe God has got so much to say to us, His church, in the 21st century, because I believe it's time for harvest. I believe it's time for us to see so many souls come into the kingdom of God. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a town centre church or a church out in the uh, sticks somewhere. There are people around us that need to know the the glory of the church, but they have to come to know the powerful salvation that there is in the name of Jesus Christ. So here we are in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to carry on really. We're going to go to, uh, uh, to verse 42, and it's the, it's the passage we've been using all the way through. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, and they broke bread and they prayed. Then fear came upon every soul. There was many signs and wonders. You know, the, the God of power was at work in the early church. And it says in verse 44, now all who were believed um, all came together. They had all things in common. They um, uh, sold their possessions, their goods. They helped people in the church and outside the church as well, of course. In verse 46, they continued every day with one accord in the temple. And they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and with simplicity of heart. And they praised God, having favor with all the people. Oh, what a great thing. You know, the Bible says the church is a city on a hill. It's the center of attention. And that's exactly what was going on here. They had favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church every day. This was on a daily basis, those who were being saved, those who were coming to Christ, those who were discovering that there is power in the name of Jesus Christ and there's salvation in him only. You know, today I want to speak to us about the Lord of the harvest. It's something that I've been really passionate about over many, many years, that the fact that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of harvest. It's not just a kingdom of breakthrough. It's not just a kingdom of sort of divine intervention, um, you know, where God has to do something because everything's in such a mess. No, it's a kingdom of harvest because our God is a God of harvest. In the Old Testament, um, it's actually a part of the description of the name Jehovah. Um, he hooks up with that name, all sorts of descriptions. I am the Lord, your healer. I'm the Lord, your provider. I'm the Lord, your peace. I'm the Lord, your, your sanctification. I'm the Lord, your good shepherd. All these descriptions are put in with the name of Jehovah God, the great I am. But he also puts in there with his name, the great I am, Jehovah. He says, I am the Lord of the harvest. I am the Lord of the harvest. So, over in Acts, sorry, over in Psalm 115, verses 12 to 14, we find this verse. The Lord has been thoughtful about us. His mind is full of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. 
over this last year, there's been that incredible song that's been sung around the world about how the fact that God is going to bless his people, us and our children. Absolutely a God-given song for this time. And, and, you know, here in Citygate, we sing it, you know, a lot really because it's such a powerful thing to declare the blessing of God. This is obviously in the Old Testament, but I'm so glad to be able to say now that we've been through the cross and we're into a brand new covenant. I could say this, the Lord is mindful of us. He has blessed us because we're already blessed now in Christ. That's a whole sermon in its, in its own right. He has blessed us. He has blessed those who fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord has increased us more and more, us and our children. You know, God is a God of increase. It's at the very heart of who God is. We've just spent a couple of Sundays going through the fact that there's the grace of giving and how when we give, we hook up with the character and the very heartbeat of God that God is a giving God. He's a generous God. Well, you can't in any way talk about how God is a giver and, and exclude the fact that then God reaps a harvest because everything that man sows and everything God sows, he shall also reap. And that's a harvest. I believe in a mighty harvest. God is passionate about seeing his world come to Christ. He loves people. That's the heartbeat of God. That's why for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It wasn't only just so a handful of people could come to Christ, but it's that the whole world has an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. God is a God of increase. And as we go through the book of Acts, we find more and more that the church was added to, then the church increased, and then the church spread in such an explosive way. And here we are 2,000 years after this event in Acts chapter 2, and the whole world is hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And over a third of the world would declare themselves to be Christians. You know what? God's word is spreading, and I believe with all the technology we have right now, so many churches online, with all the passion there is, with great churches being planted, with the power of God being released around the world, that there is a harvest that this world has never seen before. And you know what? I want to stir some faith today that we are part of the, the uh, army of God. We're part of the family of God to go and reap the harvest that Jesus Christ hung on the cross in order to reap. We are already blessed. We already have a spirit of increase upon our lives. We already have the abundance of God in our hearts. And the church is the place where God's wholeness and abundance lives and breathes. But of course, the greatest harvest that there is, is not just a harvest financially, or a harvest of healing, or a harvest of properties. or It's a harvest of souls. It's the people that don't know Jesus coming to Christ because the church is so influential in that in our day in our um, generation that we shine as a light like never before in the generation that we are called to impact we have a covenant of increase absolutely we do we have the promises of God that he will in, um, increase us we have the promises of God that whatever we sow God is going to see to it that we reap that harvest. Why? Because the kingdom of God is a kingdom of increase. You know, today and, and over the next couple of Sundays, I want to impact our thinking so much that we expect great things. 
that we expect God to show himself strong. You know, for a long time, you know, some parts of the church have this theology and have this belief that there's a remnant. And of course, even if the church is really going through stuff, there will always be those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has kept his church going for 2,000 years. But you know what? God's not just interested in a little small group of defeated believers. He's not just interested in just a little group that says, oh, let's just stay holy and let's just stay sanctified and let's just stay praying. God not interested in some introverted little group. He wants us to be explosive in our, in our day. He wants us to explode in our towns and our cities, that the church, you know, far from being an embarrassment, far from being out of touch with reality or out of touch with society, becomes the very heartbeat in the community where God has put his church. I don't know, here in London, there's something like 5,000 churches in London, and I believe each and every one is absolutely vital to the salvation of London. Each and every church across the United Kingdom, absolutely vital for the salvation of our nation and across the world, of course. There's all sorts of different styles, all sorts of different beliefs. As long as a church names Jesus Christ as Lord, then you know what? God wants to put his hand upon that church and God wants to cause that church to increase, to be added to on a daily basis and to see the power of God move so much that we see a generation come to Christ. I'm really passionate about this. When I gave my life to Christ on that day, something exploded in my heart, the fact that I needed to lead other people to Jesus Christ. And that is the heartbeat of the church, that we are here to reap the harvest of souls that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He shed his blood, not just for a remnant church, not to keep a church in the four walls of a building, but that the church should go into all the world and preach the gospel to, to every creature and to see people come to Christ to be baptized to, and to become disciples. And that's what this series has really been all about. The fact that the disciples then devoted themselves but each of those disciples became soul-winning um, Christians in their own right. It wasn't just in the hands of the apostles. Why? Because God is a God of increase, and he wants to see an amazing harvest reaped. I hope you're excited about this. I'm really excited about this. There is absolutely, there isn't any point to go through these last nine weeks about how we're to be disciples and we're to be passionate about God and we're to be generous and we're to pray and we have a covenant without then ending this series by saying, you know what, church, we are called to go into all the world and to influence other people in love and in grace and under the power of the, of the Holy Spirit to introduce other people to Jesus Christ. So I've got, I don't know, four or five points to go through over these next couple of Sundays. And the first point is this. God wants his harvest. I heard somebody speak oh, some years ago now, and he preached about the cross in such a way that it absolutely marked my life. He said, because the Lord Jesus Christ hung on the cross and he paid the, he paid the price for all creation, God has a claim on people's lives. And that so impacted my life. Yes, of course, there's personal choice. Absolutely, there needs to be personal repentance and people need to come to Christ. But you know what? Almighty God has staked a claim 
on the soul of each and every person. He said, you know what? I've paid a price for you and I'm gonna do everything I can to bring you to salvation. Why? He doesn't own people in that controlling way. It's not, of course he's God, of course he's Lord, but he doesn't own people. He's not in control of everybody. But you know what? He has a claim on the life of every man, woman, and child that has ever been born on this planet. Jesus Christ died for all, and God wants his harvest. You know, there's a passage in the Gospels where the Lord Jesus Christ I think he made it really clear. He said, stop saying four months until harvest. Now, of course, if we were farmers, we'd speak like that. We'd say, yep, you know, harvest is in August or whenever it is. But he said, you know what? Around this thing of souls and people coming to Christ, stop saying not now. Stop saying when the time's right. Stop saying when the church gets its act together. Stop saying when there's a revival. Stop saying, oh, perhaps we need to do this and it's going to take another six months. No, he said, stop saying four months until now. Open your eyes. Lift up your heads. Look hard at the world and see that the fields are already white under harvest. Now's the time to reap the harvest. You know, it's great to look back in our history books and to read of what God has done in past times with past people and different churches and different parts of the world. But you know what? I believe God wants us to look ahead. He wants us to look now and he wants us to look ahead and say, you know what? I'm alive today. I'm not alive 50 years ago. I'm not alive 60 years ago to preach then. I'm around today. We're part of the church today. And today there is an incredible harvest. And if God has done it before, he will certainly do it now. But not just the same thing. He'll do greater works. He'll, he'll do greater things than we've ever seen or experienced in this world before. I'm so excited about this. I don't know, have you ever, have you ever put a seed in the ground and then it hasn't grown? Uh, I've done that a few times. As a teenager, I used to, I used to plant a little herb garden. And um, I don't know why I did it, just got interested in it. I tried to grow some other things as well. And, you know, but... Some things grew, some things didn't grow. And it was not dependent often on the quality of the seed because the seed was always good and the ground was always good. It was how we prepared the ground, how we took care of the seed, how we fertilized the soil, how we poured on the right amount of, uh, or it had the right amount of rain, if, if it had sunshine or not. Those things all influenced the harvest. But you know what? The seed was good. The seed was good. And there's something about the harvest that God has sown for. The seed is good. And as we go through this couple of Sundays, we're going to find out that there's a part that God plays and there's a part that the church plays. And as we work together, then you know what? We're going to see an incredible harvest. But let's begin by understanding this. God wants his harvest. It says this in Mark chapter 4 in verses 26 to 29. And the Lord Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how for the earth yields crops all by itself. First the blade, then the head. After that, the full grain in the head. But the grain, um, it comes to maturity. It comes to the point where it's ripe, 
it's healthy, it's grown all by itself. It says immediately a man puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. You see, there are two things involved there. God does his part and here the man does his part. It's a divine and human partnership. It's God and his church. See, the seed can grow here and the grain can be ripe and it can all have grown. And this is what Jesus was saying when he said, look now, the fields are white under harvest. He said, don't let the crops rot in the field. God is passionate about his harvest. And you know what? All it's going to take is somebody saying, I'll go. Perhaps I'm going ahead of myself here. But I, I'll be somebody who puts in the sickle. I don't have to grow the seed. The seed's already grown. The harvest is already ripe. And God is saying, I want my harvest. Okay, what's the second point today? The second point is this, that the church is a growing church. I love this back in Acts chapter 2. We find that the church grew every day. God added every day and it soon didn't just end up with addition. It increased hugely and then spread explosively. It wasn't just a, a soul added every day. This thing absolutely exploded. And it's again, it's this divine and it's, it's almighty God and it's his church working together in a partnership. We find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, who then is Paul? Who then is Apollos? But they're apostles through whom you believed. They're people through whom each of us believed. Perhaps you were led to Christ by a pastor or a vicar or a friend. It doesn't matter who it was. He's saying, you know what? Who is Paul? Who is apostle? They're the ones who sowed the seed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, he says this, listen to this, I planted Apollos pot on the water, but God gave the increase. Can you see there again, it's what man does and what God does. If man doesn't plant the seed and pour on the, you know, the fertilizer and make sure it gets the water and the rain and the, and the sun, if man doesn't take care of man's part, then there isn't anything for God to increase. But God does God's part, which is increase, and man does man's part. I love the fact that the church in the New Testament was not a stagnant church. It wasn't a shrinking church. It was a growing church. It was a growing church. And I think so often as the church has been through seasons, um, all the way through church history, it's very easy for a congregation to get into its mindset. As long as we stay the same size, that's good. Isn't that great? We just don't want to shrink. You know, we're fighting to survive here. We just want to stay the same size. You know what? I think that's a very, very sad thing. I don't know what farmer would ever put one seed in the ground to get one seed back. Say, well, I've got what I had before. Let's put one seed in and get one seed back. If he's not getting a seed in the ground and 30, 60, 100 fold back, then he will soon stop farming because it's not worth it. See, God is a God of harvest. He's not just a God of let's maintain our numbers. Let's maintain our position. Oh, isn't it great? This church has been around 20 years. Citygate's been here 24 years, I think it is, um, you know, here in Beckenham. Uh, you know, 24 years. Isn't it great? They're still going. Well, it depends. If we're just still going, there's something really wrong. But if there's growth taking place, if the Lord is adding, if there's increase taking place, 
then that is the growing church that you find in the New Testament. The Bible gives a couple of examples about how churches increase. He says they grow. God says they grow. And also that churches are a bit like a building. That they're added to as living stones. And all of us, we are, um, are built together as a temple. And so there's those two examples that we're, we're something that develops into a building. And there's... The other example is that we grow and it's like harvest. Churches grow and churches are built. There isn't anything just about and the church just gathered to maintain. All the emphasis in scripture is that the church grows. The church increases. This is really, really important. God wants his church to grow. I know this puts pressure on us. I know preaching something like this is like, oh wow, you know, we've got to see people come to Christ. There was a season in Citygate Church where we didn't see people come to Christ for, you know, for quite some time. It was probably over a year, which is horrendous now. We see people come to Christ every Sunday, but, but you know, back, it was about a year we hadn't seen people come to Christ. And it was because certain things needed to change in the, in the ethos, in the culture, of the church. It wasn't because God wasn't doing his part. See, God will increase what we do. If Apollos didn't plant the seed, or if the Apostle Paul didn't plant the seed, if somebody else didn't pour on the water, there wouldn't be anything for God to increase. And it's very easy for us to think, you know what? God wants his church to grow, so go for it, God. Grow your church. But we're going to find out over these next two Sundays that it's absolutely, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to grow the church of Jesus Christ. But not exclusively the work of the Holy Spirit. It has to do with how we are as believers. How effective are we at being Christians, at helping other people, at serving, at being a city on a hill, a lamp on a lampstand. It's not all the divine. The growing part, absolutely, God gives the increase. But there is a human element to it as well. And I want to talk about that now in this, in this third part today. And that is this. We need to understand church culture. We need to understand church culture. That's a word, you know, what is a culture? Well, it says in the dictionary, it is the predominating attitudes and behavior that characterize the functioning of a group or of an organization. It's the attitudes and the behavior that mark out a group of people. That's their culture. There's an English culture. I'm sure there's a French culture. There's a Nigerian culture. There's an Ethiopian culture. There's an Egyptian culture. And absolutely, we're in a day when, you know, perhaps it's not as, as, as clear cut as it has been before because the world has spread and everybody lives everywhere. So that's fine. I absolutely understand that. But let's just understand the simplicity of this. There's a British culture. There's a French culture. There's a, a culture in Iceland. And that is traditionally the culture that is there in the nation. It's the attitudes. It's the way people think. And it's the behaviors of a group of people that mark out that group of people. What else says this? The integrated pattern 
of human behavior that includes thought, speech, action, artifacts, things that we you know, think are valuable, and it depends on the human capacity for learning and for transmitting that which has been learned. So what we pass on to succeeding generations. It's something about values. It's something about the things we think are important, how we speak, how we think, the things that we treasure, how we learn things, and then how we pass on to our kids that which is really valuable to us. That's what culture is all about. Another way to explain it is this, the customary beliefs, the social forms, the material traits of a group of people, whether that's a, a social group or a religious group or an, or an ethnic group, whatever it is, it's the beliefs, it's the social forms and the material uh, traits of that group of people. You may think, what's this got to do with the kingdom of God? Well, you know what? There is a kingdom culture. There is a way that the Bible clearly says Christians are to behave. As Christians, that's our culture. It's a kingdom culture. Some things you just don't do in the kingdom culture. Lying and stealing and being jealous and unforgiving. That's not kingdom culture. You know, kingdom culture is accepting of people. Kingdom culture is that we forgive. Kingdom culture is that we rejoice. Kingdom culture is the culture of the kingdom of God, as clearly seen in the life of Jesus Christ. The culture of the kingdom. But I want to take this a little bit further today and say, you know what? Each and every church has got its own culture. Each and every denomination, each and every church, it has things that it thinks are valuable. Things that it says, this is how we talk. Things that it says, this is the things that we believe. These are the things we treasure. You go into some churches, there's all sorts of things in the place they believe are really important. Perhaps they'll have an altar on the platform. Fine, that's what they consider to be important. If you go to other churches, it's very, very different. It's the culture of that church. <coughs> Excuse me, it's not just the culture of the kingdom of God. See, the culture of the kingdom of God has to do with our beliefs, has to do with our godly character, but the culture of the church is the behavior of the church. Now today, I'm not going to in any way suggest that this church's culture is better than that church's culture. They're just really different. And aren't I glad that they are? Because so many different people in the world today that each and every unchurched person is going to relate to a different church culture. They all have the same love. They, they all have forgiveness. They all have um, a faith. They all have a culture of prayer. They all have the elements of the kingdom of God, but they are expressed in a very different way. I think it's fantastic that in the early church, it's quite easy to see what different congregations had different types of cultures. Uh, it's really clear the very early church, the first 10 years or so, I think it was, um, was just really for the Jews only. The Gentiles weren't anywhere to be seen. The culture was very Jewish. They met in the synagogues. They met in the temples. It was very, very uh, clear to see. Um, other things that were clear to see, and we'll get onto this a bit more next week, was the fact that these guys, they, they hung around every day. It was a daily meeting. 
they were part of each other's lives. Now, that's not necessarily a doctrine where the church must meet every day, but it was the style of the church that was going on at that time. Um, you know, perhaps you go to this church or that church. I've already said some have got altars, some have got bands playing like we have. Some buildings are dark like this. Others are really bright and airy. It's the culture of the church. And it's important that we understand that you don't have right cultures and wrong cultures as we're talking about the style of the church as long as we are believing the word of God. If it's expressed in a different way, that's perfectly fine as long as it's in with the confines of scripture and we don't go back under law. Really, really important. And I've asked myself this a lot over the years. I had somebody come and speak for Citygate Church back in 1999 good friend of mine, and well, he is now, he, the first time we'd really met, or the second or third time we'd met, first time he'd come and spoken for us, and he said this, he said, kingdom life is power life, power is really influence, and influence comes from credibility, how credible is this church, as at a time, the church was only a couple of years old, 30 people at that time, and it's like, how credible is this church, and he asked us this question, he said, if this church was to close down tomorrow, would anybody notice? Well, of course, the people in the church would notice, but what about the next door neighbors? What about the community that the church was in? And it started a five-year transition in our lives, especially in my life, as to what really is church all about? What is the criteria of success? Is it that God just arrives in a service, or is it that the church turns the world upside down? What is the criteria of success in the church? Well, I believe, having read scripture, that the church, the mark of success has to be that the church grows, that the harvest is reaped. If all that keeps happening is that we are empowered, then we have a very introverted culture. And I love worship times. We spend time in worship here and pour out your spirit, God, and put your hand upon us. But if it's not for purpose, it's just self-indulgent. And it ends up just being about us in the four walls. I want to ask myself this question. I want to ask you this question. What do people say about your church? Perhaps it's Citygate Church or the church you're part of. What do people around say about the church? You know, perhaps they say, oh, that's the weird place on the corner. Or perhaps they say, you know what, that's the really introverted place. We don't know really what goes on in there. Um, you know, perhaps they say something like this. That's that really happy bunch of people. Or that's that really, you know, professional looking. Everyone's in suits there. They always turn up in suits. You know what, what people say really is the culture of the church. It isn't enough to say, well, if they really knew us then they'd say, you know, perhaps they say that's the grumpy church because everyone looks so grumpy when they come out. It's no good to say, ah, oh, but if they really knew who we were, they'd understand that we're not grumpy. That's completely irrelevant. It's what people see. It's what is given out from the culture of the church. And over the last, I don't know, 20 years, we've made it our goal and our aim to have a good name in our society, not to be men pleasers, but to so display the character of the kingdom through a church culture that shines and encourages people in the community. We're still getting there. We're not there yet, but we're doing everything we can to represent Christ. 
You see, it's really important that we understand these things. Growth comes from a strong culture. If a church is everybody does what's right in their own eyes and expresses themselves to God, that's great. We all have an individual intimacy with God. But as a church, we've got to have a culture. And we can't just say it's a culture of forgiveness or it's a culture of a culture of love, or it's a culture of we believe the word of God. No, how do we act? How do we look? What's the, uh, I mean, how did I explain it? What's the attitudes and the behavior and the speech and the actions and the artifacts that are important to us? That's the church culture. That's who we are. Influence in society doesn't come from the greatest group of people. It comes from the loudest voice. It comes from the group of people with the strongest culture who are there to influence the cultures around. Not to dictate, not to control, but to influence. And of course, the church has to be the greatest place of influence on the world. We want to influence people towards the love and the salvation that there is in Jesus Christ. See, a church is not just about a gathering together of people who believe the same thing. It's about a group of people that say, you know what, I see this as home. This is my local church because you know what, I share the culture. And that culture must not just be restricted to an ethnic group or to an age group. Oh, that's the young church or that's the older church. No, come on, the church is for all people. The church is for every race, every color, every every experience, every age group. You know what? God's church is so broad that the thing that brings us together firstly is, of course, the person of Jesus Christ. But it has to be, you know what? We, we think the same way, we live the same way, and we do the same things. Not as a controlled group of people, but you know what? We're home here. This is our culture. We are heart to heart here. We've just read in Acts chapter 2. They had all things in common. They met every day. They hung out. You know what? They got on together in such a powerful way. Of course, it's kingdom culture, but I think we're understanding now it's more than that. Strong identity with a culture produces great action and great commitment. And you know what? I can't wait for the day. I think we're in it as well, but this is growing, that the church becomes more and more powerful in the earth, more and more agreed together, and more and more influential in the world. There's something in the, you know, out there in the world called the top of sale position. Um, let me explain that. If I said hamburger, you'd probably, you know, say a name, a brand that everybody knows. Um, if I was to say High Street Bank, you'd probably say a name I'm thinking of right now, or one of the three, even though there's loads of different sorts of banks. There's loads of different makes of hamburger. You know what? Someone's got a top of sale position. I really believe that the church of Jesus Christ should have the top of sale position in the locality where it is. When somebody says, you know what, I need help, you need to go to that church. Um, You know what, I need to find friends, you need to go to that church. I want advice with parenting, you need to go to that church. That the church of Jesus Christ, the city on a hill, the lamp on a lampstand, has the top of sale position in its community. I think for too long, the church has had not the second, third, or fourth. It's often been the last thing that people would say when somebody says, how can somebody help me? The church is the last place people send people unless it's for something really, you know, the thing that the church does and it's the only place to do it. I think that's very, very sad. I think the church 
<coughs> excuse me, should be top of sale position in the business world. I need help with my business. You know what? You need to go and talk to the guys down there at the church. I need help how to be a husband or a wife. My marriage is breaking up. You know what? You need to go down there and talk to people in the church. Why? Because the church has a name. It has a culture of being excellent, of being influential, of being accepting, of being the place to go where you can find answers. There was a man in the Old Testament, Solomon, and that's the name he had. You want answers, you go and see Solomon. I believe the church should be in the top of sale position. As we close today and we'll carry on next Sunday, there are obviously some really good things to have in the church culture and there are some really bad things. Let's think about some good things to build into the culture here, I'd say in Citygate Church, but in any church of Jesus Christ. What about love? Love in the culture. That if you go to that, oh, that's the love church. You go there, you, they're going to really love on you, not on some weird way, but with the love of God. What about everybody all in step to fulfill a vision? Not when someone's got this vision and someone's got that vision. No, there's the vision of the church and we're all working together to fulfill the vision of the church. What about being really positive? That's the positive church. If you go there, they'll tell you that you're going to win. What a great thing, not in some pie in the sky way, but you know what? As a culture, it's really important to have a positive church. Growth in the culture. Not that growth is unusual, growth is expected. It's in the culture. People grow, families grow, small groups grow, Sundays grow. The church is growing. We're growing in our mindset. We've got a growth culture in the church. What about another one? Forgiveness. We've already talked about that a little bit. You know, there's not a church with little factions all over the place where you offended me and they offended me. Come on, guys, that's not the culture here in Citygate Church, and it certainly is not the culture of the kingdom of God. What about a reward system that we thank people when people serve? We're grateful. Not just where well, you did it for Jesus, amen. No, come on. I'm really grateful for people who serve here in Citygate Church. They don't have to. There's 5,000 other churches in London. You could go to any one of those. When somebody serves, puts their time in, we're really grateful. It's a place of gratitude. Faith is a good thing to have in the culture. What about being on team, that we all work together? What a great thing. You see, it's very easy for us to think God gives the increase, but our job is to have the culture, the culture where God can grow things. We'll cover more about that next week. What about being punctual, being on time? That's a great thing to have in a church culture. This, this thing of turning up half an hour late, you know, it's just not kingdom. It's just not right. It just shows a disregard for all the hard work that everybody's put in, whether it's a small group or whether it's a Sunday or whether it's the youth or, or whatever it is. Come on, we're early. We're there. It's a culture thing. It's something in the culture of the church, serving and giving and being generous. These are cultural things. Just in the verses that we've read, the early church, it really speaks about them being inclusive it says they ate their food with gladness. They were a happy church. They were a happy church. And with simplicity of heart, they were simple. Some churches are really complicated. You go there and it's like, well, I just don't know what's going on. And it's also complicated. Come on, let's be really simple in the kingdom of God. Not ignorant, but simple. That we love God and we love people. And we're here to powerfully affect our generation by building a large, dynamic, influential church where people are equipped to fulfill their destiny 
radically transforming our world. Let's make it simple. Love God, love people, and shine in the generation that we have. Understand the church culture. This is why there's a church for you, and there's a church for me. It's where home is. And that'll have to do with how loud the worship is. Oh, I don't like it loud. Find another church then. It's the culture here in Citygate. Well, I don't, you know, I don't like the small group thing. It's the culture here in Citygate. Find one where there's just big meetings on a Wednesday. I don't know. Different churches do different things. But when you know your home, you know what, what a powerful thing. That church can grow. That church can turn its community upside down. And remember, God wants his harvest. And if the church develops a strong culture, if we're credible in a community, if we turn our world upside down as we plant the seed and pour on the water, God will give the increase. Of course, every church, and I've said this, must have a kingdom culture, however they express that, a kingdom culture. And the easiest way I can say a kingdom culture is this, to be Christ-like, to be like Jesus Christ to speak like him, to act like him, to forgive like him, to rejoice like him, to believe like him, to heal like him, to deliver like him, that we're Christ-like in our character and in our actions. And that's a tall order. And I'm so glad that the Bible says this, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. It's not me trying, it's me releasing and allowing God to work through our lives. I want to ask you today, friend, have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as Lord? This isn't about us trying to impress God, and it's certainly not salvation by attending a church. Absolutely not. You can only receive Jesus Christ as Lord on an individual, personal basis. You don't become a Christian by attending a church. You give your life to God. You say, Jesus, come into my life. You can say, Heavenly Father, when you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, God becomes your Father. The Holy Spirit fills your life. It's a personal decision. The church is not the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, and He works through His church. But friend, have you ever received Jesus Christ as Lord? I'm going to invite you right now to pray a prayer with me. It's a prayer we pray every Sunday, and I've prayed it thousands of times now, but I meant it once, the first time, as Jesus come into my life. And I'm going to ask you to pray that same prayer now to receive Jesus Christ as Lord. Why don't you pray with me? Repeat this out of your mouth, out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you demonstrated your love by sending Jesus to die on the cross to give me life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I receive you today as my Lord and my Savior and my friend. I turn away from the way I've lived apart from you. And by the help of your grace and your power, I will never be the same again. I receive eternal life. Friend, if you've prayed that prayer today, God has, has worked a work in your heart. You are now a Christian. You've been moved from the kingdom of darkness, the Bible says, into the kingdom of God. We've been talking about culture and kingdom today. Heaven, Almighty God is now your heavenly Father. Of course, there's going to be other steps and we're going to encourage you to get a Bible. This is God speaking to us. It's not just a history book. It's where we find out and we hear the voice of God and God speaks to us and our lives are transformed as we think differently and as we speak differently. Why? Because we're now Christians. Friend, thank you so much 
for being online today. I hope you've got a lot out of today. We're going to carry on next week because I believe God wants his harvest. Come on, do everything you can to help make other people's lives great, to shine in our generation, to see people come to Christ on a daily basis. God bless you and I'll see you next week.